a list of things to do around the house this spring. Find my own way to belong to this world. Drown in what I do every day. Befriend old grief, then kill it. Pick the lock on my ribcage and leave it open. Remember to swallow hard and piss beautiful rust. Make my bed with the hopeful. Give up my breath to the moon, to the river, to the men who sleep in their clothes, to the women who comb their belly hair and mark the trail home. Learn to cut stone with my tongue. Learn to do my own joy down to the bone. Become the wild, sweet freedom for which I yearn. Seek out the homely mother of beautiful blood who dances with the cold half-moon. Remember not to leave this world without ceremony. Remember to look after the sun as it is gone to cry out when there is no one to listen. I'm your host, Joel Vessies, and I'm, I came down today on a whim to see Mage. Thank you, Joel. Glad to have you in my house. I had a friend uh, last night, um, Mike Tomaselli, a poet, a Cleveland poet, who's moved west uh, seeking his fortune and um, wound up in Denver. He um, called me last night and um, said that he's managing a restaurant now and and he and the chef had gotten together and um, were talking after work and Mike had my book, A Hungry Ghost Surrenders His Tackle Box, in which this poem, a list of things to do around the house this winter, this spring, uh, this summer, this fall, uh, appears and um, they apparently got um, some paint and a brush and they painted the whole poem on the wall from ceiling to floor <laughs> and um, and and sat there and talked about it and um, I'm just thinking there's no better f fate for a poem than to find its way out into the world into a public place um, when I write poems anybody writes poems you begin with a blank page that empty snow field begin to make marks on it footprints and uh, you never know where the poem's going to travel or whose lives it may enter and I don't know I just um, late night phone call and I don't know poems have a funny life that lives beyond us still carries our life along with them so yeah yeah poems are very present for me now but yeah it's simply that and uh it's about the uh, role of uh, the erotic life, um, that deep life, um, and its connection to the everyday um, uh, happenings, the identity we, we have, and uh, trying to reawaken our understanding to, um, to the way in which that might be the real life uh, below volition prior to volition uh, nothing we can really think about but something that moves deep 
uh, within us and has its own intelligence and uh, also that the erotic life and the spiritual life and those two paths may uh, can be the same I think that's forgotten uh, often in this culture which has um, is obsessed with sexuality certainly uh, at a kind of um, surface horizontal obsessive level um, sexuality without intimacy right? yeah without intimacy or without its connection to the deep um, erotic life that really moves the world yeah. I think so and um, at the, the top end of that the most visible end is community yeah. and um, those kinds of enduring connections that um, give our lives shape and purpose and but there are deeper deeper levels to that and uh, at the bottom of that lies something um, which is a prime mover but also eludes language and all description which has recognitions um, of its own for which we cannot uh, account but is part of the basic exchange uh, among us and I I think often art and poetry points to that deeper deeper life um, to the life inside the life um, yeah and also the the notion of the woman as um, as as teacher um, in the patriarchy in which we in which we live the woman um uh, as the protector of secrets of um, the priestess of the um, of the the divine office of of, of woman and um, the secrets that are accessible only through her the life that's accessible only through her and um, the Taoists um, um, what six centuries ago six millennia ago rather made much of the way in which they were the keepers of the treasures yeah. and the treasures were accessible only through them and and uh, love passion but at the end of that is the fruit of um, of it which is wisdom and um, so yeah I've been thinking about it. yeah this whole idea of, uh, of uh, you know uh, women as teachers and and, and uh, really um, how the, the, the kind of uh, what women teach and how they teach it is a very fascinating and, and broad mm -hmm. broad subject it is and uh, I think one of the first lessons is uh, is not to uh, not to do to to defend ourselves and uh, I have an old friend Daniel Thompson who uh, died 10 years ago next a month great uh, great brother of mine and um, I um, Daniel um, is still around um, in my life um, he's not in his body but um, his uh, presence persists and uh, he, he we always had a um, kind of loving and, and uh, comic relationship and he um, told me in his voice a month ago and um, 
I do hear voices, I'll admit, I'll admit straight up, and I hope you do too. Daniel said to me, he said, Mage, uh, stop defending what you think you are defending. And, um, and he repeated it in his voice, stop defending what you think you are defending. And um, it seems to me that um, Daniel was, uh, was telling me, um, don't forget the lesson that the women have taught us. And um, if you are defended, love has um, uh, a great difficulty in, in finding you, yeah. in penetrating that armor. And uh, I think that um, men among themselves are encouraged um, to, uh, to be armed. Um, with all guns of every every description, um, real and metaphorical, um, and that I think women are thankfully the disarmers, yeah. and uh, they take the armor from us, and um, and they they take the weapons from us, and um, uh, they're not needed in the home. Yeah. They may may be needed in the bush, yeah. you know, but not 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 in not in home, not in the house. Not at the supper table, you know. Right. So that's one thing that comes to mind. Okay. Stop defending what you think you are defending, and I think they teach that lesson and to be um, and to be humbled. I think in a way, uh, humbling as um, as a kind of prelude to, to liberation. A, I have a poem, and I, I don't know if you you have a poem that you'd like to find after this. Go ahead. Within. Many in the dance, tree, fall, leaf, spirals, still, in air. Between toes, curls, greens and yellows, grass, and the sound of clouds moving in the water. Sixteen and one, and one and sixteen, what are names but labels, and through us, wind forms of things. Air, tree, leaf, sky, water. Winter ground, summer ground, spring ground, and autumn ground are just faces of the earth, circling the sun, circled by the moon, just like you. Split the sky with a shriek to find the one true season that does not change. <laughs> wow. Well, it sure catches the sense of um, the the intricacy of movement that our 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 lives uh, are I, I mean we'd been talking earlier about um Aja Chan yeah. and his um that wonderful uh, Thai forest monk um who died I think in the 90s mm -hmm. 1990s uh but his teachings are important to me and his articulation of the way in which uh, everything is both arriving and going away. It's both appearing and disappearing, and there is no stasis. It's all, um, it's all flow, it's all movement, and, um, uh, and that there's nothing to be held on to. Uh, that it all flows around us and we flow with it. And, um, of course, quantum physics teaches us that, that reality is not so much a 
construct as an ev an event that's in motion in movement is it's an ongoing happening and um, so I think sometimes we're aware of that but we see things very slowly and your poem catches that and also the idea of what the Tao is uh, in Taoism and in the book of changes the I Ching uh, the notion that the Tao is the regenerative principle that that makes the world continue uh, it makes the house across the street reappear an hour from now <laughs> and not go away that there is a kind of continuum in which there are all of these events and our lives may well be understood as events as movements and our bodies are held in a kind of provisional stasis these vibratory patterns are held together for uh, a while under what Buddhism calls the five five conditions when those conditions are right then the all the vibrations find a kind of core but and they're held in in orbit in 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 proximity and so we 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 form an identity or a self out of that but then when the conditions change the that all pulls apart and disperses and so it's a it's a it's what the Chinese call the gathering and the scattering mm. another way to to see it but if you if you can envision a life like that then you're out into the boundlessness and abundant abundance and bigness of things there's plenty of air to breathe mm -hmm. and you're not in the closet of yourself anymore mm -hmm. you're yeah. not hiding in the darkness with the shoes and and the coats and 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 the pants and and you're out in a big place and i think that um, health and I think that well-being um, may well have to do with the kind of space in which we find ourselves and the space in which we live our lives try to live in a big big space that's why I read poetry yeah. uh, that poetry gives me air to breathe it also puts me in a bigger space outside of my own small concerns that tend to trap me during a day sure. and the domestic stuff the little things I have to do yeah. to maintain the world well when I read Walt Whitman's song of myself yeah. I'm reminded that um, that all of this is multitudinous and ongoing and and, and huge and full of all kinds of things um, that I can touch and, and be restored by you know, that's a wonderful thing I'm glad I'm glad glad for both of us <laughs> um, did you have a poem that, that you wanted to? There's a, um, back in 1983, I, I met a, um, I was at a, a, a week-long conference at Naropa Institute in uh, Boulder, um, a week-long conference um, on the Eastern and Western contemplative traditions. And uh, Naropa had brought uh, together um, Oh, uh, Tibetan Buddhists, um, Zen Buddhists, um, Russian Orthodox priests, um, Carmelite uh, nuns, um, the Benedictine were there, the brothers, uh, the, the Trappists, and everybody was there. Um, that is, those who had paid 
attention in some kind of tradition of the contemplative life. And it was a week that arguably really changed my life. And, uh, and much of the ballast of my life, I think, derives from that, that week. And um, I, um, I was sitting in one of the churches in downtown Boulder and things were winding up. And um, Sister um, Tessa Balecki, um, now Mother Tessa Balecki, a Carmelite nun, um, at the uh, Dorje Jong uh, house in Boulder, uh, was on 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 stage, and there were maybe a hundred people gathered around her, and she offered ten guidelines for the path of Christian contemplation, and this is out of her Christian tradition, but. I think it becomes quickly much broader, and she. I wrote these down in uh, in the book that I that I had, and I'm looking at something that was written more than 30 years ago, but which I go to literally every day. And uh, Mother Balecki said, uh, "One work work with the plain stuff of day to day. Two love God." the historical Christ from the scriptures, the cosmic Christ from nature, and the mystical Christ from prayer. Number three, love life and be grateful. Four, embrace little deaths and little sufferings, for they prepare us for the greater ones to come. Five, love one another and express it generously. Six, keep your balance. Seven, work with your humanness. Eight, get back up quickly. Nine, sit still. Empty yourself every day. Be still. Ten, laugh, no matter what happens, especially at yourself. I've never forgotten. I mean, those are my my ten commandments, uh, my ten guidelines. And, sure. uh, you know, I, I would think that if you could work with two of these yeah. and fully, I mean... I, that would be enough, and you know, work with your work with your humanness, and do it every day, and work with the humanness of other people. Forgive them for being human, and um, first of all, and with all the limitations and the possibilities that are there, and 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 work with that, and uh, love one another, and express it generously. And unless you unless you express it, how are they to know that you love them? And you can express it through words or but try to express it through actions and love life and be grateful and gratitude seems like one of the most um, enlightened states in which human beings can find themselves and work with the plain stuff of day to day and you are right where you need to be wherever you are it's the only place that you have for now and there's a famous vagabond Japanese poet named Neneo Sakaki who would say to his students, don't you ever tell me you need anything. You know, you have what you need right now to go forward on the, on the path. So, um, yeah, never forgotten these. And at the end of the conference, the, the, the leader, the, um, the head of it all, the center of the hub, was Chang Trungpa the founder of Naropa, who was to die a few years later in uh, very early and uh, was very old uh, in his 
40s, I think, early 40s in, in Nova Scotia, but of a heart attack. But but he, that day he sat on stage smiling, said nothing the whole week. And uh, finally one young, intrepid young woman turned to him after everybody had been talking all week and said, uh, Master, what is compassion? And that was the center of the whole week. What is compassion? How do we act? compassionately and he smiled and he said softly he said compassion is washing the clothes and drying the clothes and folding the clothes and everybody in the audience looked around and said that's it <laughs> that's all he's going to say and that's all he had to say and so I went home to the uh, apartment of the Buddhist friend with whom I was staying friend though I had not met her until she opened her home to me and I and I got everything I could find that I had uh, I had dirtied up during the week and I threw it in the washer and dutifully watched it wash and dutifully watched it dry and I folded everything and left it on the bed <laughs> and uh, to this day I, I fold my clothes and um, I fold my dirty clothes too and um, and when I jeans and shirt and socks and undershirt and whatever at night I fold my dirty clothes in gratitude for uh, for their having protected me during the day and so I think that finally his wisdom moves toward an action that um, that leaves us in a state of gratitude for for whatever and gratitude and compassion may be very close to one another so um yeah, so Mother Mother Balecki, yeah, thank her. She's still alive, still teaching. Is she? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Certain people will be familiar with it because I've, I've shared it with other people. So good, it's, it's good. Kind of nice. yeah. It's interesting how different traditions uh, at their root really are just expressing. It's like uh, Dogen says, different languages, one tongue. Right? Oh, oh. Yeah. that's wonderfully, yeah. Wonderful, yeah. Different languages, one tongue. Yes, and yeah, all all the tributaries flow to the sea. Yeah, uh-huh. And we were talking a little bit, one of my favorite books, Mage, is, um, is Zen Man, Beginner's Mind, Suzuki. Uh -huh. Suzuki it's a great book. Yeah. About how you should burn yourself completely like a good bonfire, leaving no trace. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked a little bit about this via another route, which was the Bhagavad Gita, mm -hmm. which talks about the relinquishment of the fruit of action. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know if you, you had a poem that related to that or wanted to say something about that? Or? Well, that relinquishment to the right of the fruits of your actions. I mean, I, I read it in the Bhagavad Gita that I later gave you. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just, uh, it's a, it's a three-inch thick book, four inches. I mean, it's a, it's a tome. And I remember coming to that and uh, that moment in the Bhagavad Gita and I just um, I mean the recognition never went away that I don't own any of this I have no rights here um, none of this belongs to me where I'm at now I live in a house that my wife and I ostensibly own um, I came across uh, in a drawer uh, the uh, electric bill from 40 years ago yeah. from the previous owner and who wasn't 
there was an owner previous to him who there's owner previous to him and <laughs> and on and on it goes and um so that you you're 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 the right here is to be um is to be human and to work with that and to um the humanness and, the yeah humanness. the humanness and and um and try as nearly as you you can to do no harm and to love and um that line out of Jack Cornfield's uh, <clears throat> Path with Heart, which is a great book, I recommend to everyone. Is a, I mean, it's one of those fundamental books in which so many um, lines of wisdom traditions flow. And um, he says, and this this to me is is nearly the whole thing. Jack Cornfield said, Phil says that um, it is the quality of heart we bring to what we do that matters most. It is the quality of heart we bring to what we do that matters most. And I, I just, it's the quality of heart. Yeah. And funny it should come down to that. Because there are so many other levels and layers that you can approach or attach or cling or dissect, but really fundamentally the crux of it is just the purity of heart. Right? As far as I can tell, and, and, and I mean, I can't, I mean, I, I, I um, and I've read uh, um, uh, hundreds of books about all of the traditions, and it's been expressed in so many ways. But I think that's it, and it's akin to a biblical uh, line that I hold close, and it is, "Lord, uh, grant, sustain in me a willing spirit." And and that's the willing spirit. I think pays attention to the quality of heart, and you know, everybody knows something about the quality of their own heart. To bring things at the kind, to come to anything at the highest level of which we're capable, a level that's kind, generous. And forgiving, whether you're dealing with uh, an angry mailman or a guy who's just rear-ended your car, or whether it's a lover who's closing the door, or whether it's an old woman in a bed drawing a last breath, or whether it's a casual conversation, um, bring the best quality of heart of which you are capable to the ordinary moments, working with the everyday stuff, sure. as, as Mother Galecki says. Yeah. To me, that rings. You know, that's a bell that rings. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we cultivate that awareness? How, what are some of the ways in which, I mean, contemplation, prayer, meditation, what? Well, look, look at the guidelines again. Um, she says, sit still and em empty yourself every day. Be still. And um, I think that in, in um, uh, the wonderful poet Naomi Shibnai yeah. uh, from San Antonio was here at Kent uh, four years ago. I loved her work. I hope she reads in every town in America at least <laughs> three times a year. Yeah. And uh, yeah. she's a great, um, generous force. And uh, she said that she uh, she made fun of the 
uh, before a reading <laughs> for a big crowd, she said, uh, I, she said, I don't, don't tell me you're too busy anymore. And because you just not, you know, <laughs> most people are bored and, um, with themselves and have their sales down and don't, uh, don't do, don't, don't run that one by me one more time. <laughs> and, and she said, I want everybody to turn to the person to their immediate left and say, I am not busy. <laughs> and, uh, it's a great moment. And everybody did. They kind of got flustered and laughed about it. But, uh, but the point was really hammered home. And, you know, when people say, I'm, I'm, I'm just too busy to, or I'm just, oh, no, come on. You know, chances are that you've involved yourself in a, in far too much at, at far too shallow a level. Yeah. And what you're doing is, is, as my poet friend said years ago, you're digging foxholes inside of foxholes. Mm. One foxhole is enough. Yeah. You needn't dig another one inside of it. But people going through those repetitions and, you know, you're not too busy. And so sit still and find a moment in which busyness subsides and busyness falls away in meditative practice, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, in your own practice. It falls away. Uh, it gets quieter. It gets quieter. And silence has great force. It's a very fertile state. And then learn to empty yourself and... Um, the Greek word, and they're wonderful Greek words for which there's no counterpart in English, the Greek word for emptying oneself uh, is called kenosis. Uh -huh. And it's, um, uh, Thomas Burton makes much of this and, uh, in his writing. But if you empty yourself, you, you, you dump out everything. And when we gasho, yeah. when we put our fingertips together in, in, our, in our hands, and when you gasho and you you bow, um, of course you acknowledge that the other person is with you and that you're somehow connected in a in a fashion that's uh, amenable and that you're willing to be with this person. But you also, in pitching your head forward and slightly downward, you are emptying the contents of your head. And when you come back upright, you're ready to be filled. So you can't fill a cup that's already full. And so you got to find a way to dump it out. And I don't know, people have different practices to do that, but it has to be somehow attuned to the spiritual emptying. For some people it's prayer. Yeah. I think singing is an emptying. It so much is born, and then the Buddhists, uh, and I know of no counterpart in this, in any other spiritual tradition, given that I'm speaking from ignorance here, but but the Buddhists say that, um, you know, emptiness is the fertile ground for compassion. And uh, emptiness is the fertile ground for compassion. So they are the same thing. They are. And one translates as an expression of the other. Each translates into the other. And there is a place at the end of the kalpa, at the end of time, where the iron tree blooms. The iron tree bursts into bloom. And so emptiness is, I think, well, anybody who prays who knows, knows emptiness, to pray deeply is to empty oneself before one's God, you know, and um, to be filled in with God's grace and love. I think. So you got to find ways to do that. And uh, if you submit to whatever the, 
the day thrusts upon you, you got to be doing something. Yeah. You got to be doing something active. And uh, Wallace Stevens in uh, his book called The Necessary Angel, a book of essays, said, you know, if you got to send vectors of action and faith and assertion out toward the world, otherwise the world in sending them in toward you will crush you. Yeah. And he said it's like one of those inflatable tents right. that has that little fan, fan that runs. Uh -huh. You know, so as long as that fan's running, the thing stands upright. As long as you're doing something, yeah. as long as you're generating, as long as you're trying to write a poem, as long as you're trying to, um, to pray, as long as you're trying to meditate, as long as you're trying to, you're trying to build something mindfully, as long as you're sweeping the sidewalk yeah. mindfully, then you're, you're creating a space, you're strengthening the space that you're in uh, against the genuine onslaught of the world. Yeah. And the media um, wants you to be active all the time. Right. It wants you to want all the time. Right. It wants you to need all the time. It wants you to be hungry all the time. It wants you to consume all the time. So anything you can do to create a space in which that doesn't happen... That is not dictated by the construct of the society around you. Right? Yeah. yeah. And those rhythms, the teaching of how to, to, to strengthen those rhythms is in, in every spiritual tradition. It matters not what. It no, matters it matters not what. what. As long as it's with care and awareness. Yeah. And David uh, Foster Wallace, um, in that wonderful uh, little What is Water?, I mean, Google you that. You recommended it yeah, to me, and I, mean, I, picked it up. I, I picked it up at the bookstore, I think, yeah. You know, it's a little, yeah, it's available it's in the book. And yeah. It is, in fact, his 2006 uh, Oberlin uh, College commencement address. Yeah. And uh, that's since become sort of legendary, particularly in light of his death. He's hanging himself, and he, he again, as is too often the case, could not could not live by the very truths that he gave to others. Like he couldn't save himself. Yeah. And, um, but he said, um, you know, unless you find yourself and make yourself a part of some spiritual tradition, unless you are strengthened by a community of others, of like heart and soul, this culture will eat you alive. Yes, it will. Yes, and it will. I, I think, I think so. The way society, our, our American society, is is structured, the soul is neglected. The mm -hmm. inner life is neglected, mm -hmm. and so people don't really know where to begin or what that looks mm -hmm. like. Or, but they have intonations of that or like uh -huh. beginnings of that, but they may not be familiar uh -huh. with it. I think, yeah, exactly. And uh, is it? Uh, oh, Ehrlich who says, um, yeah, he says that. When you know, when you are no longer aware of the life that you are, not the life that you have, but when you are no longer aware of the life that you are, when you no longer appreciate the life that you are, you turn to things. And so you begin to, what should be inwardly directed becomes outwardly directed, and then you start attaching yourself to every and then you have all these wants and this then what is, yeah. and what the nafs yeah. what the, the in Rumi uh, in Sufism what's called what are called the nafs 
NAFS, the denizens of the lower bitter soul take over. Yeah. And once they get in there, they're, they're relentless. And Rumi has a great poem about the man who goes up in the mountains and sees this great serpent encased in ice, you know, way up 10,000 feet in the snow. And so he's an enterprising fellow and he goes up with some others in a big wagon and they cut out this huge chunk of ice in which this snake has been entombed and he takes it down to the hot plain and um, sets up a tent and, uh, and, and invites people to pay to come in to see this serpent. Well, the, the ice melts and the rest of the story you can figure uh, the, the serpent destroys the man first who set him free. Mm-hmm. Then he destroys everybody that he can get to and slaughters many. But so once you wake, teaching me. It is really. And once you yeah. awaken that lower soul, um, I think destruction follows and uh, and I think that that what that have you're having awakened it. Yeah. Allowed it to awake, um, I think then then you pay the price. Yeah. Okay. For it, I, I think. And uh, yeah. and this culture is, is hell bent on on selling you tickets to see the, <laughs> the serpent melting in the ice. <laughs> come on, come all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, so much of what healing is from a from a mystical or Sufi perspective is really like uh, uh, the uh, realigning resonance or or tones or vibrations of our own rhythms mm-hmm. in a way that is. Uh, it, kind of trying to reset it with another person who has that tone set mm-hmm. or who is uh, he- health tones mm-hmm. or healthy tones. So um, I know you had mentioned a little bit about the vibrational frequencies of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, you're sure not going to change the vibrational frequency of, of the world. I mean, I'm not going to. I know that. And um, all I can do is... Um, try to attune myself to certain parts of it. Not all of it, but um, parts of it that seem nurturing. Yeah. And the thing that Robert, uh, Roshi Robert Aitken, uh, who, who wrote a great book called Taking the Path of Zen, which is the other book, I mean, Enter with Roshi Suzuki's Zen mind, beginner's yeah, mind, yeah. but but also this taking the path of Zen, which is a thin little volume. Um, he says that uh, all nurturing begins with inclusion. Yeah, I remember. And I say that. the same things over and over again. And may I always? That's that's one of those anchor yeah. ideas. Like um, I've carried that with me in, in my work. I mean, actually, should. very much. Yeah. So little mind and big mind. You know, I mean, that's that's in Roshi Suzuki, but. Um, I mean, a little mind, uh, little mind excludes, big mind includes, and yeah. so little mind yaps at differences, you know, and um, saying this is not like that, and little mind is always choosing between this and that, and one Zen teaching is that enlightenment is simply stopping choosing between this and that. I mean, because you're stuck there, it'll never end. Right. I mean, you, you, once you start that. It'll continue to your last breath, but if you can, if you can let that go, 
and intelligence defined as letting go and move beyond that, then all kinds of things are possible. But that little that little mind is, uh, boy, it just yaps like a little chihuahua, you know. Just, and big mind is is quiet, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, and and then w the books that I always recommend to people who 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 are interested in um, like learning about maybe meditation are generally it's uh, there are three books and uh, the three pillars of Zen by Roshi Philip Kaplu, uh -huh. and then Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, and then of course my favorite book, which uh, is the Snow Leopard, and Peter Matheson just just mm -hmm. uh, passed on. Yep, may great, he's a great teacher. May may his soul find safe passage. Yeah. But uh, you were talking a little bit earlier uh, in our conversation before we recorded the show about uh, his teacher's teaching to him. Yeah, I thought it was terrific. I, it's in the Snow Leopard, and uh, uh, two things I carry away uh, from Snow Leopard above all others, and um, one was. Um, there's a passage somewhere in the book that, um, in which Matheson proposes that it's better to be true than strong. And, um, well, whether what that means to be true, that's hard and to talk about. And um, But I think you know it. Yeah. I think each of us knows it when we're being true to something. And um, Robert Frost said famously that Somebody asked him when he reads a poet for the first time, uh, what question does he ask? And Frost <laughs> said, without hesitation, he said, I ask myself whether this poet has anything to be true to. You know, wow, you know. Next time you read a poem, poet for the first time, ask yourself whether you can detect whether this poet has anything to be true to whether that comes out of your reading of the poem. And so Matheson said it's better to be true than strong. Nobody's strong enough. We're all, we're all, we're not only all going to be broken, but we're breaking. Yeah. And uh, we're mending and breaking and mending and breaking. And then with age, we break and break and break. And then the final, final brokenness. And so better to be true than strong. The other thing is that uh, Matheson's teacher um, told him that his personal koan, Matheson's, was simply two words, expect nothing. And um, Matheson was initially really rocked back on his heels and said, <laughs> you mean that's it? And, uh, and he was assured that that was it. And so if you can live, if you can live as best as you can without expectation, but rather live with welcoming the strange angels, as D.H. Lawrence calls them, um, or consider your life a guest house, as Rumi does, and um, that every stranger that comes to your door bears some kind of gift, if you can but understand it that way. So, um, Live in big mind, um, live in welcoming mind, um, work with your humanness, yeah. Joel's humanness. And, uh, and I think it's the most honorable work in the world. And it's daily. And it's what you do, whether you not think about it that way or not. But 
do think about it. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the level of awareness brought to that um, sharpens the practice of the work, you know, makes more things possible. That what you're doing in working with your humanness is in an old spiritual tradition that so many, many, many have done. I'm working with my humanness. When anger arises and you work with it, or when you think, you know, somebody's done something to you, you know, or wronged you, work with that. Work with it. Don't, don't let it overwhelm you and calcify and attach itself to you. Just, um, just say to it, come here. Let me work with you. Let me work with this. Let me see what you're made of and what caused you and where you came from. Yeah, maybe befriend it. Because um, a part of that part of that big mind you were speaking about is really something that we were also talking about earlier today, which is uh, probably my favorite of all favorite topics, which is just the supreme, the supreme intelligence. Mm-hmm. And um, how I was saying to you how I felt that events, it the supreme is the orchestrator of events. So when we get angry at something, we're really saying that we are not in accordance with what presents itself mm-hmm. and what is the presenter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for the Chinese, um, the Taoists, um, it would be acting in accord with the Tao, yeah. which is also understood the way the way things are supposed to be, whether we think that way or not. Yeah. But it's the it's it's close to Dharma, and Dharma in its original sense. For Buddhist, Buddhist means um, has a connotation of firmness, you know, firming up uh, life with the truth, with with Dharma. But Dharma and um, Dharma and Tao, yeah, they certainly they certainly touch in many ways. The uh, the, dar- the Dharma that word has has spins off many ways, does it not? Mm-hmm. Is that true? I've never fully understood the full meaning of it. I don't. Well, that's good. <laughs> it's like you know he, he who understands the Tao does not understand the Tao you, you say the word Tao you don't you don't as soon as you say it you don't have it you know you think you have the Tao you don't have the Tao and uh, and so you know those things are those things elude us they include us but they elude us so would you is there a poem that you'd like to read Mage anything coming to mind or what do you think? Um, huh. Poem. This poem comes directly from from Dagen, from the Shobin Ginzo. Yeah. The treasure, the true heart, and uh, Dagen, that 13th century Zen master, is a big big influence on me and. Uh, well, I don't read them anymore. Um, I haven't read them for years, but you know, I've, it's kind of part of part of me, yeah. uh, part of how I think. And I, I sometimes in poems, I I will you begin with a quote, and this is Doggins. Um, um, and I want to say that when Doggin returned to a um, to his native Japan after long wandering yes. in China. Yes. Um, uh, people asked him immediately what he had learned 
and his wandering. And he said, nothing except a tender spirit. And I thought it was a wonderfully enlightened answer. And um, I think part of the work is to, for each of us to, to maintain the tender spirit, to find ways to encourage the spirit to remain tender. Against cynicism. Against all of cynicism, against all of those forces that, that would tend to, to cut it off and isolate it and diminish it and diminish us in the process. And I would say that if you can keep alive tenderness as a human quality in a lifetime, in a long lifetime, that's a triumph. Um, and so Dagen went, walked all those miles to hundreds and hundreds of miles to, to, uh, to get acquainted with the tenderness of his spirit. It's a great lesson. And this quote from Dagen is, uh, if you cannot find the truth right where you are, where do you expect to find it? <laughs> and my poem. Find it in the letter the mailman refused to deliver. Go chase him down the sidewalk. Take back what belongs to you. Find the truth in the goodwill. The dead man's suits without shoulders hung in a row. Check the left breast pocket, wear that one home. Find the truth in the grocery, under the cart where you stow the potatoes and the cat litter. Sometimes the truth is down low. Find it on your back step. Find it in the one black shoe, heavy as a stone, the laces in a hard, hard knot. Find it in yesterday's half-frozen cup of muddy coffee you left on the winter porch rail. Drink it down, shoulder the morning. A clear, blind river runs beneath your feet. Find it in your dreams, black moon in a bone-white sky. Find it in the Main Street Bridge here in Kent that runs over the Cuyahoga. Find it there, the graffiti of the great speckled bird. Find it in the broken sword, find it in a child's name, scribbled in the acid ink of tears. Find it in your own breath, the wind horse that carries you across this plain toward the mountains. If you not, cannot find the truth where you live, where does it live, this truth you live for? My father's ashes are scattered um, from a bridge back in southeastern Illinois where I'm from and uh, my ashes will be scattered there too and uh, I like the idea of going down the river with my uh, with my old man I like the idea of um, of fire and um, water and earth and air the four basic elements and um, you know um, how they're all expressions of each other they're more alike than we, we know, and, um, and all rivers run to the sea, and that all waters join, and um, yeah, the dissolution seems a, seems a good thing, and um, yeah, seems, yeah. <laughs>